Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what really works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Success Summit 2014. I'll share a bit more about this online event later in today's show. I'm super excited about today's show. I'll be joined today by YouTube marketing expert Steve Dotto, and we'll explore how you can grow your YouTube channel. But first, I'd love to share a new discovery with you. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. Are you familiar with Skitch? S-K-I-T-C-H. Skitch is a cool application that you can use on your desktop or mobile device, and it's a screen capture and annotation tool. And whether you have uh, Macintosh, Windows, or Android, or iPhone, or you know related applications or devices, it works on all of them. And as I mentioned, it's part of Evernote. And this is a really cool tool if you want to go ahead and grab a screenshot of something on your screen. Maybe it's a picture you take with your iPhone. Perhaps it's a screenshot of something on a social network. And maybe you want to draw some arrows or add some text around it or draw some attention to something in particular. This could be used for many different purposes. It could be used for a blog post, for example, if you want to teach people how to do something, for example, where to click a button. It could also be very useful for a social update on Twitter or Facebook or any other social network. And it's just a super easy tool because you can use any device that you have this installed on. It automatically saves it to Evernote. So what does this mean? You could install it on your smartphone. And when you're out and about, you could take a screenshot, couple put a couple notes in it and boom, it's in Evernote. And next time you get back to your desktop, it's right there. And then you can go ahead and upload that to your uh, server and use it in a blog post, for example. Super easy to use. I love it. And Steve, uh, the guest on today's show, has done a great YouTube video, if you will, demo that is about nine minutes long. And I will install that in the show notes so that you can watch that. So check it out, Skitch, and let me know what you think. With that, I do have one more thing I'd like to share with you right now. Take your social media marketing to the next level at Social Media Success Summit 2014. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll be led by 45 of the world's leading social media pros, including Mari Smith, Jay Bear, Michael Stilsner, Amy Porterfield, and Mark Schaefer. Attend from the comfort of your home or office. Improve your marketing with Google+, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, YouTube, blogging and podcasting don't miss the sixth annual industry event remember this is an online conference discount tickets are limited visit smss14.com to secure your ticket today well if you're listening if you've been listening to this show for a while we've been talking about social media success summit for quite some time and literally we are just days away from the start of social media success summit which starts I believe October 7th and runs the entire month of October. 
Now, we have well over 3,000 people from all around the world, and these are attendees from some of the biggest brands in the world to everyday solopreneurs that are just trying to take their business to the next level. If you want to figure out how to best use YouTube, blogging, podcasting, Facebook, Pinterest, Google+, Instagram, any of the major social networks, maybe you're in a position where you're doing a couple things really well, but you know you need to take it to the next level on some of the other social networks, or maybe even just take what you're currently doing on Facebook to an entirely new level. Well, then check out this online conference. You attend from the comfort of your chair, no travel required. If you can't attend the live sessions, and there's like 45 of them spread over four weeks, don't worry about it because we have the recordings available the same day and transcripts available literally within about a week after the live sessions. So if you really want to take your social media marketing to the next level, this is the most economical way to do it. Visit smss14.com, which stands for Social Media Success Summit 2014. Check out all the speakers, the agenda, and grab your early bird discount. Again, smss14.com. And with that, let's transition over to today's interview. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Steve Dotto. If you don't know who Steve is, he produces a YouTube show designed to, quote, discover your inner geek, unquote, where he focuses on productivity, apps, and a lot more. In his former life, Steve hosted Canada's largest syndicated technology show, Dotto Tech. Did I say it this time right or did I screw it up you again? You did. It's perfect. Okay, cool. Where he entertained and informed millions of Canadians on all things tech. And Steve's also been involved with theater and comedy at Second City. Steve, welcome to the show. It is a thrill to be here, Mike. Well, you know, sometimes I mess up names, and, and for those that are listening, I did mess up his name the first time, so I recorded it again, and I'm so glad I got it right. So, it's Steve, funny how, yeah. It's funny how your brain goes through that little twist as soon as you're introducing somebody. It's like, no, I'm doing it right, and then you get completely off track. Absolutely. It was perfect. And, and if anybody wants to Google his name, it's D-O-T-T-O. So, Steve, you have been very fortunate to be involved with traditional television up in Canada. And you've done the transition from television to new media and specifically to YouTube with your channel. Mm -hmm. So um, when did that happen for you? And, you know, how was that for you? Kind of talk to everyone listening a little bit about the differences and kind of your experience going from, you know, uh, in front of all the crazy expensive cameras to in front of the little camera in your computer in your home. Yeah, if I take a look in the Wayback Machine to 1995 or 94 when I first did my first TV series, it's, uh, you know, we had the big studio cameras on pedestals with a crew of six or seven in studio to, to do demonstrations to show technology. But yeah, we had a good long run here in Canada, a nationally syndicated show talking about how technology fits in your life. And we had 15 years on the air, which I'm, I feel blessed to have had. And it, it was... Uh, Towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the run, as the internet was just kind of growing in relevance, our show was becoming more and more irrelevant. Because you know, if you want to learn how to you know sync your iPhone to your computer, uh, should you really be watching you know network television to learn how to do that? Uh, you know, there were certainly better ways to to right. learn that sort of thing. So so the writing was on the wall for us. Now so I uh, about about now four years ago, I I pulled the plug on the show planning to you know go on to the next big thing without really knowing what the next big thing was for me but you know I figured I'd been pretty successful in a pretty competitive space for a long time 
so I uh, so we pulled the plug on on the on the TV show and uh, and I just kind of went into a little bit kind of went into the wilderness for a little while. I, mm. You know, we went through it. I was at that age in life, closing in on fifty, where you know you do a lot of uh, reflection on your life and uh, kind of came out of the other end, not entirely certain what where my place was. Uh, and I started to teach courses, and I dabbled a little bit in YouTube, and I continued to a radio show, but you know, radio doesn't make a lot of money. And I actually was uh, now almost exactly two years ago now, I was speaking at a conference in Victoria, and I met uh, a colleague of yours, Mari Smith, who saw my content and had a chat with me, and she said, you're doing everything wrong. <laughs> I said, really? Too funny. I, and she's, I said, I knew I was doing everything wrong, but that's, it's easy to know what you're doing wrong. What do I need to do to do it right? And she said, I will show you. And she, uh, she took me under her wing, which I, I feel very grateful for, and, and kind of showed me the whole world of internet marketing and, uh, and, and how, we, you know, how you can build a community and, and that sort of stuff. And she said, with your on-air personality and your knowledge and your energy, uh, this is, this, you're kind of cut out for this, for this world. And I, I learned at her knee to a certain extent and uh, took it away and kind of t- applied my own my own. Uh, my own kind of techniques to things, and came back about a year ago saying, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna take what I did before and I'm gonna put it on YouTube." And that was a big deal for me to look at YouTube seriously because the ego of being a broadcast uh, personality on the big screen, or me- medium size screen. Let's say the medium size screen. You know, I was looking. I always looked at YouTube more as a curiosity. I didn't really understand. What it represented, uh, because there there are so many there are so many subtleties to YouTube, the social network, the difference between having an audience and having a community, and I had to learn those things. And so it's this last year I've really been focused 100% on rebuilding my brand, reengaging with the Canadian audience, and finding a new audience on YouTube. And it's been a it's been a real it's been a real roller coaster ride, but a lot of fun. Well, it's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, to think about the fact that it was likely YouTube that led to the ending of your show, right? Because people were probably looking to YouTube rather than traditional television to find out how to do all the various types of things that you were trying to do on traditional television, right? So, absolutely. You know, and 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 it, and it kind of like it kind of is. Hey, if you can't beat them, join them in a little bit of a mentality there, right? <laughs> there is, and you know, there was no animosity on my side. I knew that it was time for my show to be done. I didn't, uh, you know, other than the people in the show there wasn't a lot of joy in the work anymore. I loved, I loved working with my team, but the, you know, the day in, day out, you know, going out, getting sponsorship, getting the money in place, telling the same stories that there was money in the industry for, that was starting to wear on me. So it was time for us to move on. Uh, and so I, but I, I just always I didn't really take YouTube all that seriously. And, you know, to be fair, I started really focusing on YouTube in September, uh, and I'd had about maybe four or five thousand subscribers before, and was playing with the the technology of how to put a video together, what was acceptable quality, because you know coming from a broadcast background where you've got lights and sound, and you stop for every little mistake, right. you know moving moving into this this very uh, you know kind of uh, organic world of YouTube, that was a big change for me, and going from you know a team to doing it all yourself, where. You know, I didn't know anything about editing. I had to learn it to edit. I had to learn to light. I had to learn, you know, how to how to put it all together. Uh, all of those things were, you know, were part of that learning process. But the real key came when I started to understand that YouTube wasn't my network for my audience. It was a community. And the shift when YouTube changed the rules and was it November, December when they started adding Google Plus? 
Right. And they started to allow us to have real conversations because they kind of filtered out all of the crap that was on that, you know, from people being, you know, rude and abusive. And it turned into a place that people could actually have a conversation. And it it was like a light bulb going off for me. And we should probably explain for those listening that aren't familiar with this. um, YouTube changed their policy. um, Gosh, it's probably been about a year now. And they required you to be a real person with a real Google Plus account which is tied to your personal identity in order to leave a comment where in the past you could have made, you could have came up with a crazy name like cat 2260 or something. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Now you you, could have said anything and you could have said anything and it was kind of like the wild west and everybody was crude and obnoxious. And now because it's tied to personal identities, not only are the comments better, but also the ability to develop community is pretty cool. Now, Steve, let me ask you this question for those that are listening right now, kind of explain the format of your show. Okay, my show is very how-to, now, the base product, which is my how-to channel, which is what I did when I did the TV show. It shows people productivity apps, how to use Google, uh, you know, Google apps or how to, how to uh, use your iPhone more effectively. It's very, very kind of cool aspects of uh, Evernote, uh, things that make your life a little bit better uh, that you don't want to research yourself that I kind of have a good way of explaining to you. So you, when you watch one of my demos, if you go, I didn't know I could do that or, geez, I'd like to do that or I should be doing that, then I've done my job. So how long is, I mean, let's get a little more granular, like how long is your show typically and what kinds of things specifically do you make sure you try to accomplish when you're producing your show? Well, when I produce, and it's funny that you call it a show because I, I look at them as elements as opposed to, to a show itself because I, when I think of a show, I think of packaging, you know, five or ten, you know, a half an hour's worth of content together. Hmm. But most of my videos are anywhere between five and 12 minutes long, a little long by, uh, you know, conventional YouTube, uh, by the wisdom that people are telling. But basically, I want to take on a topic and teach you a little bit something more about it uh, that, that you probably didn't know. So a great example would be, you know, an Evernote demo where I'm going to be talking about using Evernote out in the mobility space and, and how, the, uh, how the app looks different on the Android device than it might on the iPhone. By doing that, I, I've you know, basically given you an idea. If you are thinking of moving from the iPhone to the Android, it might give you the confidence to do it or it might tell you that, oh, gee, I'm not sure I want to go there because I don't like the looks of that. So the bottom line is to ed- a little bit of edutainment, make it a little bit of entertaining, make you discover something that you didn't know and kind of inspire you to either use it or even better that it's not for you and it's something that you should just avoid. Let's talk about the why a little bit. You know, why do you, Steve, do your YouTube show or segments or said another way, why should someone listening right now consider starting their own YouTube, what I call a show? Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the why side of it. You know, the, the YouTube has become such an interesting social media uh, delivery platform. For a lot of us, you know, uh, when I started to decide to rebuild my community, YouTube was the natural because I feel most comfortable producing video, speaking and talking to a camera and doing demos. It's a very natural environment for me to communicate in. A lot of people, like I, I used to write for a newspaper and I find writing, while it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable from one perspective, I also find it really hard work. Mm. I don't find producing video to be hard work. Um, and so I just feel that much more engaged with my audience. And the fact of the matter is that it seems that for so many, uh, well, for so many, how would I put it best, you know, for so many different topics, it's so much easier to convey, to, to convey uh, a, a concept with a, with a little bit of a, you know, a raise of the eyebrow, a tilt of the head, and a little bit of inflection that I would have to write for you know, three paragraphs to get the same amount of information across. For me, it's a very natural tool. 
from the other perspective is it's such a it's such a relaxing uh, environment to browse through and to discover information in. And as we're learning more and more about people's uh, habits and how they consume information on YouTube, we're starting to learn how they you know how they. Uh, basically go on binges where you'll watch four and five and six videos on the same sort of topic to mm. try and get the information together. So it, it, the consumers are migrating towards it, it uh, probably faster than almost any other. It's easier to follow than to have to read a blog. It's more engaging than just a simple podcast because uh, <clears throat> you can bring all you know you can bring all of the different media types together. So for me it's just it's just seems to be the best of the blogging type or the, you know, the ongoing uh, content creation type environments. The, your show in particular, you, you show your face in the bottom right corner, if I'm not mistaken. And then you're, mm -hmm. you're typically doing screen sharing at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, I do a lot of screencasting. Yeah. So they can see you, they can see you talking and I think you're wearing a headset or talking to no microphone or something like that. And then, and they're seeing the look on your face. So they do kind of feel, and you're looking right into the camera, generally speaking, so that you feel like they're looking right at you and then you're showing stuff while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really unique and cool. I don't see a lot of that. I usually see either just a talking head, you know, with a backdrop behind them, or I see just a voice with the screen share behind them. Can you talk to people a little bit about kind of how, what tech do you use to be able to pull that off? Well, first of all, we should talk about the why, because that yeah, is, yeah, that, you know, why it, do you do that? It creates a, a much deeper level of intimacy between the viewer and the person presenting. I, one of the things that we always have to remember with, with regardless of we're writing a blog or a podcast or doing a YouTube video is there's a really intimate relationship between you and your viewer. Even though you don't ever see them and know them, it's one-on-one. -on -one. They're coming to you. And I think in the, with the vastness of the internet, we often lose that personal engagement that, that actually happens when, we, when, we, when somebody consumes our content. Hmm. And so we need to honor that as best we can by giving giving as much to into that situation. So by, by doing something that might be a little more challenging, might make you a little more uncomfortable at the beginning, you can create a, an extra level of engagement. I think that ultimately is really worthwhile. So that's kind of the why. The how, um, I'm kind of lucky the fact that, you know, I did over 300 TV shows of doing demos where I was actually, it, back in the day, we were pioneering the concept of screencasting. We actually used to spend tens of thousands of dollars on special video cards and techniques for being able to capture the computer screen back in the days of interlaced TV hmm. when it was very, very difficult to, you know, remember the humbar that would go through? We, we came up with ways of removing that and, and all sorts of things. So we always thought that it was important for the viewers to see the menu so that they could decide whether or not they wanted to do it or they could do it. Uh, so for me, it's, very, it's second nature to do that. Technically speaking, it's a it's a dead simple setup. You know, I have a Mac computer that I have a uh, a good quality webcam, a nice lighting kit, a really good quality audio setup. Because people will watch bad video with good audio, they won't listen to good video with bad audio. Mm. You know what I? Yes. So, so the audio setup is the most important part of it. And then I use uh, an app called ScreenFlow, which is probably the best ninety-seven dollars that anybody that's into I content love, creation. I love ScreenFlow. Now, how do you knock out? How do you knock out the background? Because I notice um, you, your just your head is floating over the screen 
you know. Uh, yeah, I key it out. It's there's a chroma key effect within it. So I bought, I spent like 150 bucks and bought a little green screen that I set behind me, and I bought some decent lighting set in front of me and set it up and and, and took the time to set up the lighting kind of properly within my office environment. And then there's a chroma key effect right within the uh, right within the video editor within ScreenFlow. So people that aren't technical, can you explain what that means? Chroma key means that you take a solid color uh, in the background and you basically make it transparent. So it's like it's making a, a transparent layer as you might in Photoshop if you were laying a logo over top of a graphic. So it does that with live video. And it's not perfect. It's not as good as you're going to get out of Final Cut or something like that. But again, for what we, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing three and four videos per week, five to ten minutes. People are watching it in a small screen. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the bottom line is I think that they lose, that they forget about any imperfections if the content is compelling enough. Okay, I want to dig a little deep here because some people are intrigued and I know I am. So um, I've got a couple iMacs here in my office and there's a, there's a camera built right into the top of the monitor. Uh, I'm assuming you're either using that camera or you've got some camera mounted on top of your monitor and you're looking into the camera, but you're also kind of, your periphery is seeing what's going on on the screen there and you're capturing both of them at the same time with screen flow. Is that a safe assumption? It's exactly right. And I don't like the iSight camera, although I haven't used it in the newest uh, of the Macs. My Mac until very recently was, was quite an old one, a 2009 as a matter of fact. Gotcha. But I bought the Logitech C930 okay. uh, camera, which is a, a, it's 120 or around that dollars. You know, it's not very expensive, but it really does wonderful quality. And they, but you need a utility. You can't just use it set up as it is stock. So you need to be able to adjust the color, the the white balance and that within it. And you can't do that on the Mac unless you purchase a product. I use one called um, Webcam Settings, about 7 or $8 at the App Store. So it's very important to step through the process of actually setting up the camera, color balancing it, adjusting, the, you know, adjusting it for the lighting situation in the room that you're in. Uh, and that's better to do with the piece of software than it is in post-production within ScreenFlow is what I hear you saying, right? Oh, it would be very difficult to do in post-production. I wouldn't, yeah, I, know, I, I guess you, you could to a certain extent, but yeah, it's better to do it before, yeah. Okay. Now, the, the other thing you talked about was a lighting kit. Can you um, talk to us a little bit about what, you know, what's entailed with a lighting kit and maybe give a couple of tips of what we should look for when we're looking to light ourselves? Well, you want natural light. I mean, the compu one of the challenges with doing screencasting the way that I do is we're getting a lot of blue light off of the screen itself because right. our computer – I heard you, uh, I think it was last week and, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago in your, in your podcast talking about how you wear special computer glasses right. to balance out that blue light to make it more restful on your eyes. Right. I actually have a utility that changes the color of my screen to natural daylight. So that it so that it doesn't tint me blue as, wow. I'm, as I'm recording the video. So that's one thing that I do to help because that's a that's a kind of a wild card because the screen is constantly changing color depending what images you have and it's only what 14 inches away from my face. So that creates a little bit of a challenge. Uh, not overcome. And by the way, if you remember what that utility is, let us know sometime during this interview. I'll just look it up right now. It's right here. It is called F dot L U X. F flux. Okay. F dot L U X. Yeah. I think I've heard of that before. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. What it's designed to do is it's designed actually not for the purpose I use it for, but it's designed to change the color of your screen through the day so that if you're working in the computer in the evening, it's it's moving you more into a restful state so that you don't yeah, have to. Yeah, I've talked yeah. about that on this show, I think. Now, let me yeah. ask you this question. When it changes the color on the screen and you're doing a screen flow, does it mess with the capture of the screen? The, actually, it doesn't carry through. 
Oh, good. Uh, the, so the, the recording still comes through fine. Okay, good. The recording is capturing. Uh, it, it's. It, I'm not too sure where it is in the process, but the recording captures the screen without the color tint. Uh, the other thing that I bought is I went onto Amazon and bought a set of. Uh, I think about $120 for a cowboy lighting kit from Cowboy Lighting, and it's a couple of uh, 5,500 Kelvin bulbs with uh, white umbrellas and stands. And then I just I didn't bother setting up a you know a really perfect with a key light and a backlight and all that sort of stuff. I just basically wash my face and make sure that the background is a nice even color behind me, uh, which makes it easy to use and easy to maintain. You can spend a lot of time really setting your lighting up, but if you follow the basic principles, just getting good even you know uh, good even light uh, for the sort of video that I'm doing, uh, which you know is it, not artistic. It's instructional uh it basically uh it does the job it's not phenomenal but it does the job now i'm sure there's some people thinking right now okay this is cool i could probably pull off getting you know all the equipment easily or maybe i need to upgrade some of the things that i'm currently using but there's some people listening right now that are like you know what yeah i could do all that equipment but i don't know if i even want to get into video because i'm not funny like Steve is, because he's got a background in comedy, or I'm not going to be able to create a video that's going to go crazy viral on the internet. What do you want to say to them? You know, that word viral for, for YouTube is such a stop, you know, it's such a stop word for most people because we hear of all of these success stories on YouTube and we hear these massive numbers of viral videos and, and channels that go crazy over, almost overnight and grow to tens of thousands of subscribers. And so we think that the only path to success on YouTube is through massive growth. And, and unless you have a viral success, you're just a YouTube has-been. But YouTube is like any social network now. You can, by, and this is what I learned from Mari. This is what I learned from listening to your show and people like Amy Porterfield is I learned the basis of social networking. And then I just applied what you taught me about Facebook and Twitter and all those other networks. And I applied them into YouTube. And I've seen steady, consistent growth as a result of that. So if you've got a story to tell, it doesn't matter. I mean, the bottom line is if your audience is interested in what you have to say, it doesn't matter if you're funny. It doesn't matter if you're droll. It, you know, if you've got something good to say, give it a shot and get, find your voice. You know, uh, writers don't worry if they're not funny, if they're writing a blog post, if the information is compelling and good. So why should we worry? You know, and you're bringing up a very important point here, and I want to reiterate it a little bit. Consistency is what consistent the tortoise really does win said this another way okay mm -hmm. you know the, the the metaphor of the tortoise and the hare which is you know that the hare is the, the fast moving rabbit and the tortoise is the slow methodical beast if you will um being a consistent regular producer of of content that gets consistently better over time i think is the key to success and you know the fact is that when things choose to go viral, it's often completely beyond our control, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Most people. And that creates its own set of problems. Right. Exactly. And we've experienced that here at Social Media Examiner where things sometimes go viral for all the wrong reasons. But, you know, the bottom, the bottom line is you've got to be, you've got to be um, okay with the fact that slow and methodical is what wins the race. Because a lot of people that do end up with these one hit wonders end up quickly running out of steam and they're just not very successful. So I'm glad to hear that. So talk to me a little bit about what your journey has been like. I mean, you know, um, one of your metrics that you track is YouTube subscribers. So tell us a little bit about that journey. So we, when I, 
I had some, we, when we did the TV show, uh, we created a YouTube channel back in the day and I had a production assistant that actually would just take all of the segments from the show and post them to YouTube. And I had no idea whether it was good, whether it was bad or what we were doing with it. And as a result, I had up eight or 900 subscribers before I started this whole process. And so I opened up YouTube when I decided that I was going to start playing around with this different format. And there, lo and behold, there was, you know, a few hundred subscribers there already. But they're what I call stale subscribers. They, you know, they've seen no new content from me in a couple of years. And, you know, basically there was no relationship there. So all I did was I just started to consistently, uh, so I, I dabbled in, first of all, figured out my voice, figured out the style and the technique that I was going to produce in. But then I, when I decided I was going to grow the channel, it was on summer vacation 2013. I really made a commitment. I'm going to publish each and every week at least one piece, and then I've increased it since then. And I'm going to see if I can turn YouTube into a business. The goal was not to grow the channel per se. The goal was can I build a business or a livelihood as YouTube is my primary channel, and what is it going to take? And so I looked at that as a challenge. I look at that as really an exciting process because I figured out how to do that in network TV with a unique model. So my ego said, maybe I can figure it out on YouTube. So I started that journey. So I start, go ahead. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of questions related to this. Cause, um, someone like myself who does not have, uh, an active YouTube channel, uh, we don't really have an active one for social media examiner. I'm not really, um, I mean, what I hear you saying is you wanted to grow an audience to grow a business, right? I mean, you're mm -hmm. producing this content ultimately to draw, attract towards you a certain kind of somebody. And the hope is that, you know, they can become customers in some capacity. But the one question that I have, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening have is what does a YouTube subscriber really mean? Can you explain that to us? It's just opportunity. You know, ultimately, the, uh, the if I focus on growing, the, if you focus on growing YouTube subscribers without some sort of game plan about how you're going to leverage that, uh, there's no business there. You're not going to make enough money out of AdSense or out of anything that you do on YouTube to turn it into a business. But it's opportunity. It's no different than the, a Facebook, uh, a Facebook group, or uh, it's like a, a Facebook you know, fan. Account. Yeah. But don't they get, I mean, what, what's the mechanics that happen behind the scenes when someone actually becomes a subscriber? If they become a subscriber to your YouTube channel, when you come out with a new video, what, what happens for them? De depending on how they have their own personal YouTube account set up, they will get notification that there's a, new there's a new video from one of the people that they follow. So they follow a variety of people. And as soon as I publish a video, uh, it goes out to that group. And you have the opportunity then to send out kind of a mass message as you publish that goes into all of their now Google Plus feeds saying, Dottotech has a new video, it's on this, so this topic, and there's a little quote or there's the little, uh, the little basic post or status update that I have written. So you get a little bit of immediate juice from it. Does it go, to the, e does it go via email also? or I mean, what are the default you, settings? Do you have any ideas? I think the default settings uh, are, yeah, it, you, normally it will arrive by email. Uh, depending on how you've set up your own account, but it definitely goes into the Google Plus account. Uh, you know, and, and it, depending on, it, depending on each person how they've set up their own privacy settings and notification settings within YouTube is going to determine how they receive it. But at the point where you have the subscriber, a couple of interesting things happen. Very important things. First of all, having a reasonable number of subscribers creates that whole allure, uh, that whole uh, uh, image of social proof, where when people go to a YouTube channel and see crickets. They don't think that there's value, even if the content that they see in front of them is great. Right. So you need to create, you need, I think you need that just to say you're a player in the game. That's first. 
The second thing is having the subscribers creates a little bit of an inertia off the top for any video. So it's going to get you know, 20, 100, 200, 300 plays in the first 24 hours, which is crucial for YouTube's search engine, uh, which is the second largest search engine in the world. The key to being a player on YouTube is leveraging into that search engine, getting your videos recommended when people are watching other videos. Do you remember how I said earlier that we binge watch on YouTube? Right. The big value that I saw my, my channel really start to grow and start to move forward with momentum when I started getting recommended in all of the different recommended videos for keywords as people were looking for Evernote or Google Drive or Dropbox. If you search for any of those topics, watch somebody else's video, one of my videos will be top two or three recommended. Over 45% of my views now are coming from people who aren't subscribers of mine but are being recommended by YouTube recommending. That's the magic sauce. Once they start recommending your videos, then you start really building in your space. Now, I know you're on a quest to get to 100,000, and it's probably one of your many goals, right? But one of yes. your goals <laughs> is to get to 100,000 YouTube subscribers. And I think you, th you said earlier that you were only at, I don't know, 1,000 or something like that when, when you started this quest. So how long have you been doing this, and where are you at with your quest, and what kind of lessons have you learned along the way? Well, we, we, when I really began, I was probably at about four or 5,000 when I really started to push, and that was in September of last year. So a year ahead now, we just would have, I think in the last few minutes, we passed 40,000 subscribers. So I set my first goal to be 10,000 at the end of 2013, and we, we hit it on December 29th. Awesome. Uh, so I said that, so I thought I got really cocky, and I said, okay, we'll do 100,000 this year, and I posted it, and of course, we're not going to make it anywhere near that, but we will pass 50,000 this year. So it's growing, and the thing that I really needed to understand was what number does it become a business versus a hobby versus a curiosity? Mm, talk about that a little bit. Well, I think that for me, the number is at, at, at 40, 50,000 now, I'm seeing some great traction. I've just finished launching my first successful course, online course around Evernote. And it's the first time that I've kind of followed the, the model that I've seen so many successful internet marketers do of having a proper product launch with a webinar and then some reasonable sales out of it that actually make a difference to you business-wise. Mm. And a big part of that's come from that YouTube community that's gone, gotten to know me, gotten to trust me and enjoy my content and my style because it's not for everybody. But once since I built that community, I had a really good launch. And that was now that I'm at that thirty to 40,000 YouTube subscriber level. But I want to caution you that, and I'm sure that this is something that you probably is just, you're screaming for me to say, is as soon as possible with all of these YouTube subscribers, within every video, I'm asking them to come over to my website and sign up for my newsletter. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, because you want to get, you want to, you want to capture and own that ability to communicate with them, right? At the end of the day, YouTube is probably a better partner to have than Facebook, but I don't trust them anymore. Sure. <laughs> you know? Well, and you know, they could change the rules tomorrow and not choose to share your videos with, the, with and then your what audience. Are we left with? Exactly. Right. What are we left with at that point? So a big part of my strategy is the publishing process that I go through from the time I take a, a video from the finished being edited to uploading it to prepping it for distribution, the things that I use annotations for, which is probably the most powerful tool within YouTube is the annotations, the ability to create an interactive layer on top of the video, asking people to click to subscribe to your channel, asking them to click back to your website in order to sign up for your newsletter or whatever activity you're going to engage. That annotation layer is tremendously important. So the strategy of how you publish the video, how you annotate it, and then uh, once it's been published, how you promote it. Because, you know, certainly you're going to promote any video within your YouTube channel. But the day I, the moment I publish a video, 
I cross-posted into my own blog, and all of the traffic that I drive to it myself through my own efforts, I drive to my blog post on my site. I want people visiting Dottotech, not visiting me on YouTube. I like it when they find me on YouTube, but I want to get them to Dottotech. And then from that blog post, you can start pollinating it into the other social networks and leveraging it into everything else that you're involved in. I'm sure some people listening right now are wondering whether or not there's actually any money that can be made off of the display advertising side of YouTube, you know what I mean, where they show a little video ad or a little ad underneath. Um, is there money there? Is it not really that much? And people should really focus on figuring out a way to come up with their own products. What's been your take? It, my take is that there's not much to be made there. There's a little bit to be made there. And it's, uh, it's an interesting I, – I, I, it, I hesitate to talk too much about it because it's almost the uh, – there's actually rules in place that you sign an agreement with AdSense that you aren't going to disclose your click-through rates or your cost per click. You're not allowed to disclose the, the real metrics of what generates revenue, but you can share gross numbers. So I'll share my gross numbers with, the, with your audience. So with 40,000 subscribers on a monthly basis, around now 180,000 views per month, which is just over a million minutes per month. I just passed that mark. I make a little over $1,000 off AdSense. Hmm. It's not a huge amount of money, Mike. Yeah, it's not. It really, it's not enough, obviously, to even really keep you in business, right? So, no. so the moral of the story here is, and it's taken you a good year to get to this point, so you've got to have some other way to make money with your business. Now, now I would imagine as you grow your audience, that 1,000 could become 2,000, and eventually mm -hmm. could justify pay, paying for um, better equipment or a virtual assistant, you know what I'm saying? But, exactly. but but it's not going to pay the it's not going to it's not going to even get close to the kind of revenue that you would need to make this into a full time career. So so really the key to everything I hear you saying is to build that audience and ultimately to make something special for that audience. Is that correct? Uh, I, it is indeed. There are some other options that we have beyond AdSense revenue that can that some YouTube content creators are really leveraging well. And kind of at the top of that list is the recent crowdfunding. Uh, site Patreon, where they're now asking their community to support them financially. Yep. And there's been a lot of YouTube content creators that have done exceptionally well in their Patreon campaigns. I launched one uh, to, to make money, but also to test it out, to learn how the, how the mechanics of it work. And it's a wonderfully uh, fulfilling uh, relationship that can happen between you and your patrons, because you basically say, instead of me, you know, if you want my channel to continue, Instead of me chasing money all the time, give me a dollar a month, give me $10 a month, and I'll give you some perks. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of some extra Yeah, things. and I think you can even set it up to have a, a payment per transaction, too. So for every video that comes out, you pay me 50 cents or something like that. The music video people, the people that do music videos or songs or musicians They're are loving doing it, huh? very well from that perspective. I've just set it up as a monthly level. Yep. And what I've done is at my higher level 10 and $25 a month perk level is I said you get a free access to all my courses as I develop them. That's awesome. Uh, and, and so, in, in the, and I also give them my Twitter, you know, I follow them on Twitter so that they can have direct access to me and a few things like that. But this is the, this, you know, when you, if I can take you right back to the beginning when you were talking to me about the difference between network TV and this, the biggest thing for me is I never knew who my audience was when I did a TV show. I had lots of people who knew who I was. I didn't know who anybody was. Now, with social media and with YouTube being the social network it is and all of these different ways that we can leverage it, I know my audience. They're smaller, 
but they're my friends. They're people that I actually engage with on a daily basis now. And it's a far more, uh, personally, it's far more, more fulfilling. I miss the teamwork of being part of a big team, but I'm getting a lot of that back from the community now. That is so cool. And I know that the Patreon um, model also will work for podcasters too that are listening right now. And I've, oh, yeah. I've not used it, but I, I've heard plenty of people talk about it. And, um, you know, uh, I think that I think it's definitely worth exploration. Well, Steve, I know that uh, we have literally just scratched the surface of what oh. you can do with YouTube. Um, and I also know that you've got a course that you mentioned earlier um, uh, about Evernote, but I think you've also got something on YouTube. So why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners where they can discover more about you and your new course? Well, if you want to just come to dottotech.com there, I would appreciate if you sign up for my newsletter and you'll hear about all of our different, uh, we send out a weekly digest of our videos as well as a uh, notification of uh, any courses. And I've just finished uh, developing a course. It's a, it's a fairly long course. It takes a couple of months to go through, but it basically uh, is a brain dump of everything I've learned about growing a YouTube channel, the nuts and bolts, the technology, the uh, how I how I, uh, do YouTube SEO and learn to create uh, you know, proper titles that are going to rank in search and all of that stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a course that uh, if you are interested in YouTube content publishing, it will give you a head start and, and get you on the right track. Awesome. So check it out at dottotech.com. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your awesome insights. I appreciate My- it. I appreciate you have put me on the path in a lot of ways as well. By listen, I listen to your podcast when I walk my dog once a week. It's on my every week listen list. So it was an honor for me to, to be able to share with you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. I know I discovered a lot of things that I never knew before. So um, if there was any tools or anything that we referenced in the interview that you did not catch because you're driving or running or in a canoe or on a tractor or... Who knows, walking a, with a herd of goats? Well, don't worry. We take all the show notes for you. And believe it or not, <laughs> those are all scenarios that our listeners are in. Uh, you can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 113. That stands for episode 113. And you can leave comments there. You can find all the links, all the notes. Don't worry. We take it all for you. Also, I want to make sure you never miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast player that you are using. One more thing, if you've never done so, can you do me a favor and do what I call a verbal tweet? If you go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash love, and this works with your smartphone, it'll pre-populate a tweet into your Twitter stream that you can, of course, edit, and it will say that you recommend this show. Kind of helps us get the word out. Also, my last reminder is check out Social Media Success Summit 2014 starting literally next week, smss14.com. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.